Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast, hosted by nutritional coach Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only. Please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica. Hello, guys, and welcome to episode number 90 of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Tai, nutritional therapy practitioner. And as always, I am so happy to be here with you guys again this week. I really am. I'm really, really happy to be here. Last week, um, I was traveling. The week before last, I was traveling. And oh my goodness, does it feel good to just be at home. (laughs) So it's been a little bit of a crazy week. This feels a little strange. Um, Everything's kind of off, you know, like when you're traveling and then you get back and you're trying to catch up, whether that's on work or your household stuff or like whatever. I feel like, you know, I can't believe I got all the laundry done, which I'm like shocked um, (laughs) that it's done. Um, But just like that kind of thing and then just catching up on, you know, you got to go to the grocery store and you just got to, you know, pay bills and, and then with you know, running a a business, trying to get caught up on all of that stuff. And I had a lot, I have a lot of interviews into this next week because my kids start going back to school over the next two weeks. And they're actually in two different school systems this year. So school districts. So it's a little bit strange. So some of them, or one of them starts uh, the week earlier than the others. And so we start all the, you know, back to school stuff and we got to go school supply shopping and school clothes shopping. And it's just all this craziness. So this week, it just feels weird. It feels weird to be back. And then all of my normal schedules kind of up in the air. So it's just a little bit strange, but I'm very happy to be back on schedule with this podcast recording and get this out there. So that's really super great. Um, And before we get into, I have this great interview for you guys today that I think you're really going to enjoy. I met this, this person, her name is Jessica Reynolds on the low carb cruise just this past um, summer, spring, summer. And um, she's really awesome. She is an an expert in disordered eating and um, behavioral modifications around that and, um, you know, has experience herself um, in this, um, having lived with eating disorders for many, many years of her life. And um, it's just really, she's, she's really, really good at understanding these things and kind of being able to put names to it that sometimes when you're in the midst of that, you can't really understand what's going on or figure it out and you don't really know how to get out of it. She's, I love that she's bringing attention to this so that you can feel like you're not alone and um and like you know she, one of the things that she says is she talks about how disgusting it makes you feel to have an eating disorder and as someone who has had disordered eating in the past and to be honest I still think I have disordered eating um I mean I I don't sometimes I feel like I'll never fully be cured um if there is such a thing I know she has been um I'm trying to think of the the sober, she uses the word sobriety for it. Um, I know she's been sober for, I think, three and a half years. 
she says, and um, that's much longer than I have been sober. So, I mean, even since be, becoming ketogenic, I've still relapsed into kind of binge eating. And I think binge eating looks different for everybody. And so, um, you know, it could be on different types of foods or um, in different ways, and maybe it manifests differently and there's that type of thing. But, um, you know, keto has definitely helped me in so, so many ways, including the ability to, um, to manage that, I guess is the best way to put it, but, um, but definitely has not erased it completely for me. So I definitely know that she has done a lot of, a lot more research and education into the behavioral side of that and kind of, um, figuring that part out. So, you know, I think that that is probably the area that I need to be focused on for myself. Um, I know that there can sometimes be a lot of emotional scarring from your past and healing that needs to happen before you're able to kind of overcome some of those things. And um, so anyway, I think this is going to be a really great episode for so many of my listeners. And whether it's you that that is suffering from these types of issues, or maybe you know someone that is, um, this is just really good knowledge to have. She's got a lot of insight into this, having suffered from these things herself. Um, she's really able to really talk about, about it in depth and help you to kind of understand a little bit more about it. So um, it is going to be an episode that will help a lot of people. So I'm very excited about it. Before I get into the episode, um, I have to talk about some stuff that is not as is not going to be as helpful um, in this type of area for everyone, maybe. Um, but my keto classes, um, I want to really quickly wrap up just because I want to put it out there um, so that somebody doesn't miss out if they were um, still planning to do this. So really quickly, t- tomorrow night is our last, it's week seven and it's the final week and it is a live Q&A week. So um, this series, this course is six weeks long with a, a bonus seventh week Q&A, which is only part of this first class that I was offering. Um, So we've already done the first six weeks, but if you have registered and not paid yet, we've gotten a lot of registrations that have just not sent their payment. So they're not actually registered for the class until you actually make that step of paying. Um, If you have sent that in already and you just haven't paid for it, or if this is the first you're hearing about it and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that you had a keto class. It's called Understanding and Optimizing Keto. Um, If you're interested in taking the class and you haven't yet registered, there's still time to do that. But know that registration is ending tonight at midnight. So that is Tuesday, August 6th, 2019 at midnight Eastern Standard Time tonight. Registration will be closed. So even if you send me payment, if it comes in after midnight tonight, I will have to return that payment and you will not be um, permitted to take the class um, at this time. So um, I have to do that because I have got to get this um, wrapped up. Uh, I don't wanna be doing bookkeeping tomorrow on this and trying to make sure that I have everybody accounted for. I have like this nightmare of a bunch of people sending, you know, sending in payment and me trying to get all of that, all of them added to the class list before our live class tomorrow. Um, so in order to help me not have to get a bunch of them coming in tomorrow and doing that right before we have the class, I'm cutting that off at midnight tonight. So if you're not sure what I'm talking about, you can go to www.com 
thatketoblonde.com forward slash classes, or you can just go to my website, jessicatai.com, and you can click on the link, which if you scroll down near the bottom of the page, I think, or near the middle, um, there's a link for classes. You can click on that and it will forward you over to the other page where you can fill out the registration form. Now make sure that if you do that and you want to be included in this first class at this introductory rate of $47, that you make sure payment goes through before tonight at midnight. That's the key. Um, doesn't matter if you've registered, it's not official until you've actually paid for it. Um, so, and if you are not ready to take the class yet or your, um, hearing this to you know after the fact and maybe you missed the deadline it's not a problem you can still take this class it will just be at the rate of 197 dollars that is the normal price so um it's 197 and that will be available on my website here in the next week to two weeks so by the end of august you'll be able to just take that class you can click on the link pay for it and you'll be sent all of the links to each week and you'll just be able to take that at your leisure so um, if you do sign up before midnight tonight for this class it is 47 dollars as an intro rate and um, all of the classes that we've had already, I did record all of those. So I will send you those recordings. For the first four were live, so you'll have that. And then the next two were recorded sessions. So you can watch as much of that as you can. They're all one hour um, approximately one hour long classes and you can watch those as many of those as you can before tomorrow night's live class which is a special Q&A that anybody that was part of this first class um, can sign into that Q&A class um, through Zoom we're gonna do a Zoom classroom on that and you'll be able to ask any questions that came up for you during the course so any questions that you have or just any questions you have um, specifically that you're like, hey, I want to ask Jessica what she thinks about this. Um, I will be available to you for that. So it is tomorrow night from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it is only an hour. We have about 50 people in the class. So I understand if everybody has questions, I'm not going to get them wrapped up in an hour. But that's okay. I will stay on and answer your questions as long as I need to. So if you need to go when the hour's up, that's fine. You can split. But I will stay on there and make sure everybody gets their questions answered. And if you're listening to this right now and you are enrolled in the class and you have been a student um, during this series, then um, this is your reminder that tomorrow night is the live Q&A. And um, you are welcome. I know I mentioned this last week during class, our class together, and I've posted it, I believe, in the in our private Facebook group, group, which if you are sign up for this class, you do um, get entrance into that private Facebook group, which also you are able to ask questions and I do personally answer them. So, um, you know, next best thing to personal one-on-one -on -one coaching and that part is free. Um, but you can, um, you can post your questions in our personal Facebook group, if our private group, if you would like, or you can email me any questions that you have in advance. If you prefer to ask them live during the session tomorrow, that is totally fine as well. But before we start going to all the live questions, I am going to read, I've gotten a lot of really great questions from some students already. And so I'm gonna go over those first. And the reason why is I feel like that'll answer probably a lot of questions other people are thinking. Many of the questions I've gotten are questions I've gotten in the past um, numerous times. So, um, 
I know these are a lot of things that people think about um, pretty frequently in these types of settings. So I'll answer all of those first and then we'll go to the live questions. So if you are a person that is in like a hurry tomorrow and you only have so much time to get these questions answered, then you can feel free to send them in to me and know that those will be read and answered in the beginning. And if not, and you'd rather just shoot off the hip tomorrow, that is perfectly fine as well. Then I will get to those as soon as we wrap up the recorded ones. Okay. So I think that is everything I need to talk about with the class tomorrow. Sorry to take some uh, time at the beginning to talk about that, but I want to make sure I get that out of the way. I hate to think that anybody who wanted to be part of this class and wanted to be part of it at that rate um, could potentially miss it and then be like, what do you mean? It's $150 more. Um, That's just the way it's going to be. I'm going to record basically this entire series again, and then I have to pay somebody to put all of those together and put them on my website and pay for the email service to get them to you and all this crazy stuff. So my cost goes up substantially um, for the series now that I've kind of gone through my beta session, which is what this last six weeks has been. So I am very grateful to all of you who have joined the class and signed up and been part of it. It's been a wonderful learning experience for me and I've really enjoyed my time with you guys um, going through this. So it's been super. All right. And um, also want to mention that this particular podcast episode um, is a normal podcast at the moment, but you are also, I recorded this with Jessica through YouTube. So we are, I'm sorry, not through YouTube, but through Zoom. So we also have a video version of this podcast. Now it's not available yet. I'm having it mixed and and put together that it will be available on YouTube. But um, keep an eye out. If you don't already follow me on YouTube, go there, follow my page, because I'm going to start putting out most of the podcast episodes are also going to be on YouTube going forward. So um, this is one that will be. So um, just want to make sure you guys know that so you can check that out um, and make sure you don't miss any of these episodes that go on there. So find me on there and subscribe to the channel and you'll get notified every time a new um, video is put on. So let me introduce Jessica before we get to the interview. Jessica Reynolds is a ketogenic lifestyle coach who is a, who is certified in holistic nutrition and cognitive behavioral therapy for eating disorders. She struggled with bulimia, anorexia, and compulsive eating for 31 years before discovering keto. She has now been in recovery for over three and a half years and spends most of her time pursuing her passion to spread the word that there is hope, healing, and recovery from eating disorders by just eating real food. She also lost 135 pounds, got off meds for depression, anxiety, bladder disease, and migraines by eating a well-formulated ketogenic diet. Jessica's story has been featured in First for Women and Women's World magazines, and she has written articles for KetoEvangelist.com and Ketogenic.com. She was a speaker on Jimmy Moore's 12th annual Low Carb Cruise, which is where I got to meet her. And at KetoCon 2019, she will also be presenting on the fall Keto 101 cruise along with her daughter, Super Keto Clara. You can follow her on Facebook or Instagram at Coach Jessica, and that's Jessica with a Y, so it's J-E-S-S-Y-C-A, and learn more about her coaching at KetoEvangelistCoaching.com forward slash Jessica hyphen Reynolds. And I will put all of that 
um, all the links to that in the show notes. And so don't worry if you didn't have a pen and paper and didn't write that down, I'll make sure to get that in the show notes for you. So without any further ado, let's get to the interview with Jessica Reynolds. All right. So welcome Jessica Reynolds to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. How are you, Jessica? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. It's so good to see you again. Yeah, great to see you too. I was excited to have you on and get to talk to you again after meeting you for the first time on the keto, uh, let's see, low carb cruise. Sorry, <laughs> it's actually called low carb cruise. Um, and I, after your talk on the cruise, I just was like, man, this message, I know you're doing a really good job of getting it out on your own and other people are supporting that and do it. You know, you've been on podcasts and things like this, but um, I just thought, man, I need my listeners have to hear this. Any platform I can give her that people need to hear this. It's a, it's a huge message. But before we get into kind of your specialty, so to speak, um, can you tell the viewers and the listeners a little bit about you and like how you got into this space? Yeah, um, definitely something I never expected to be in. Never thought I would be the voice of um, keto for mental health and for um, eating disorders, but I think that it's so important that that group of people, people who struggle with both those things, understand that there's hope and there's a way to treat their illness that they probably haven't considered. And for me, that's the whole thing. Um, when I started to share my story, it did happen a little bit at a time, um, but I remember um, when I started to get better after I had been keto for several months and I was starting to feel better and I was starting to have physical, mental, um, all kinds of results, I hesitated to share. Um, I remember I felt ashamed because, you know, people, both subjects are things people don't talk about, um, mental health issues and eating disorders. And I, I decided that it was worth the embarrassment or potential embarrassment to let someone else know they can be healed. I was sick for so long and I literally thought there was no way out. You know, it's the person who's given that sentence of, you know, you've got this illness and you will always have it and it's progressive and there really isn't any great way to treat it. Uh, that's how I felt. I had just accepted that. And so for me, it was a great miracle to discover that changing my eating would absolutely change my life and cause me to be in recovery. So that helped me overcome the embarrassment of that <laughs> because I really was. I was like, oh no. And, and it wasn't even fear of what strangers would think. It was fear of people that knew me. People who, who for me, they probably thought I had it all together during certain times of my life, because I tended to like retreat from the world when I didn't have it all together. I only exposed the version of me that I found acceptable. And so the, it was, it was terrifying to hit post on that first post where I knew that people that I knew would see it. And then they would know me, the real me, the messed up, the disordered me, but I did it. And instead of it being a nightmare, it felt like a huge relief. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of people who have eating disorders and a lot of people who have mental health issues, we hide that because we're ashamed. And so we always kind of feel like a fraud. 
we we know that other people don't think the way we do or act the way we do about food and other things and so we tend to try to um we tend to try to fit in we tend to even overcompensate and be a big personality and then you go home and you're exhausted and then you give in and you indulge in your illness um, so it's more of a shock sometimes when when people who are outgoing and or, or who have been successful or who everybody knows or thinks is happy comes out and tells the story um, but but yeah that, I mean that's really it, it happened that way um, and every opportunity I've been given to share the story has just been a divine appointment for me. Mm -hmm. it, it always, it gets noticed by people who need to hear it and people who want to share it with people who need to hear it. I've never really sought to put it out there. Um, but I'm so grateful that I've had these chances too. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm three and a half years, a little over three and a half years in recovery from bulimia, anorexia, compulsive overeating, I am off meds for depression, anxiety, mood disorder, insomnia, bladder disease, and migraine. Um, I was taking about 17 pills a day um, before I started the ketogenic lifestyle. So it isn't just one thing, it's everything. Wow, that's amazing. So one of the things I wanna go back to really quick is you had mentioned that you, um, You'd mentioned the shame <clears throat> that comes with with coming out about this and that you don't have it all together. And I think that's a huge point. I definitely um, can align with that and understand that personally. Um, but I, I wonder if sometimes it's um, like you, oh, you, then you were saying that um, you didn't want people to know that maybe you, you know, you act like you're happy, you overcompensate, and then you knew that if you came out, then they would think that you weren't happy, um, or they would know that you weren't happy. And I think that I definitely resonate, that resonates with me. And I think it's also the feeling of if you come out, maybe you are happy in your life, and you just have this thing that you feel like is out of control, and you can't you just, and you feel like if I expose this and people know that I have this disordered eating, then they're going to think that everything else in my life is a mess and that I'm not happy and I don't have where maybe you are, but it's just that one thing that you can't get under control and it makes you feel like you're out of control. Did you yeah. feel that way? Well, I think that it, for me, it eroded into the place where my whole life was out of control. Um, so I had incredible opportunities with my work life, with my career. Um, I worked for a company that valued me and constantly promoted me and moved me around. And I got to teach and coach and train um, and be an influencer there. But behind closed doors, and I love that, I was not miserable when I was on the job, but I was traveling in behind closed doors. I was binging like crazy and purging or taking laxatives or starving. And I know that would have been such a great shock to them. So I felt constantly conflicted um, about who I was. And I think keeping up that, that sort of role, even though it really was part of me, it was keeping up the, that duplicitous thing that really did wear me out. And over time, I, my whole life did become a wreck. So for some time I was, you know, I had 
was struggling with the eating disorder. I was struggling with mental illness, but it was mine. It was a separate box. And, and after not getting well, I mean, this, we're talking about 31 years of bulimia and being able to function with it and hide it. And then it literally got to the point it's progressive. It is. It got to the point where my life was a disaster. I even withdrew from social media. I left my job, got off social media. I was at a place where I was just existing. I was not participating in life. The only thing I did do was eat and I didn't leave the house. And I, and I share that because there are people that struggle with all different kinds of things. But I got to the point where I felt I was completely unacceptable to go outside. Um, I was actually diagnosed at that time with agoraphobia, which is not fear of being around people. It's fear of going out in, outside into the world. And I would go months and months and months. So I really did. At, at one time, it was a secret. And I didn't want to share that I had a flaw mm-hmm. or I didn't want to share that. I, I, I felt like it would make people think less of me. Um, and they would see me in a different light. And I knew I was really good at what I did. And I didn't want that to, you know, influence the way they thought of me. So I kept it a secret then. But by the time I actually just crashed and burned and withdrew from life, my life truly was in every area a wreck. So I guess it, like I said, it's progressive. Um, Eating disorders, they always get worse if you don't find some freedom or stay in treatment. So what, what was it, where was the moment for you when you were like, this is it? Where was your rock bottom? What was it that you knew something had to change? Well, um, you know, I talk about food sobriety mm-hmm. and a lot of people tie that with other types of sobriety. It's a little bit different for us for a lot of reasons, but I thought, I mean, I had gone to 12 step programs for eating and things like that. I, I always still relapsed, always. So I, I, there were many times where I thought I was at rock bottom, almost dying, not rock bottom. Um, yeah, being, being in the hospital, not rock bottom, you know? No, nothing was rock bottom. And, and in fact, every time I thought it was, I still relapsed. So it, it, it wasn't a true bottom of the bottom. So I was... 41 years old. I had not driven a car for five years because I didn't like to go outside. I had severe anxiety. I was on all these meds. I was up to 309 pounds, by far the highest I'd ever been because I was just binge eating. It's the only thing I had that gave me any pleasure was just binge eating, binge eating. And um, so I literally was in a place where I was like, I don't care if I die. Um, and I meant that when I would say that, and when I would think that I didn't, I was not suicidal at that time, but I have struggled with that in the past. I just was apathetic. I almost wish something would happen. Like, I know it sounds terrible, but I would wish I'm like, you know what? If someone said you had a a terminal illness, I would be like, good. I can be out of my misery. Mm. And I really, really believed that when I had those thoughts. Um, but I got to the point that physically I was having symptoms that my husband was really concerned about. I would wake up in the middle of the night gasping for air. My chest was so heavy, it was crushing me. And it happened like multiple times a night. Um, and I've never had trouble with that. It's literally my body weight was crushing my chest. And 
So um, that was scary for him. Scary for me, although I wasn't as alarmed as I should have been. Um, and then it things got worse. And I don't know what medical condition caused this. I suspect there could have been an issue with sugar. But I stayed away from the doctor for a couple of years because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to be chastised about my weight. I just didn't. And, but I started to black out. Um, I would stand up, I would black out. I would, you know, like, I would just, just quick blackouts and then come back. And I, to this day, I don't know what caused that, but my husband at least convinced me to go get my blood pressure checked. And when he did that, um, I, you know, reluctantly did it. And there was a, like a technician person there. Um, I think she was really a, a pharmacist. I'm not sure. But anyway, she, she looked at it and she was like, this is really, really bad. <laughs> um, I remember looking down and I, and there was a chart that showed you the different, I, I guess I didn't know that much about blood pressure at the time, but I, there was a chart that showed you where you are. And I looked at my numbers and I looked at the chart and it was way up at the top in that hypertension, serious risk for stroke. And right in that moment, I started to care. It's like when I was faced with the fact that I really could have a stroke, all of a sudden, it's like it wasn't real until I saw that number. All of a sudden, I thought, if I have a stroke, if I die, I'm not going to see my older daughter get married. I'm not going to see my little girl, you know, through school. I just suddenly started thinking about all these things I, I would miss. Um, up to that point, I believed the lie that I was such a burden for everyone that it they might miss me. I didn't believe they wouldn't miss me, but I thought they'd probably be better off. In that moment, I realized I don't want to miss these things. So all of a sudden I went from not caring if I died to wanting to live. Mm. That was my moment. It, it literally was that and it was unexpected. Uh, it wasn't the fact that my weight was that, was that high. It wasn't the fact that I was on all these pills. It, it was literally facing the fact that I could have a stroke and die. Like the conditions are already there and it could happen any minute. And then I just, I just decided, no, that's not what I want. I don't want to miss these things. Wow. So, so many questions. <clears throat> I have so many questions <laughs> surrounding that. Um, that was, I mean, that must've been a horrifically scary moment, like to come face to face with that. Um, and especially when you're involving the thoughts of with your children and, and, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, like I, this, this could be real. This could really happen. I could really miss all of this. Um, so you get to that point and this was, uh, so this was the moment that you're like, okay, I'm going to turn things around. Um, before we move forward on this, I have, I, my thoughts, I guess, are, do you know what? caused you or are there things that you feel like caused you or maybe you're kind of um, things that are maybe kind of universal for people in general that kind of led you down this road to begin with that that had you in grips of this for 31 years I think that the fact that people don't talk about it much uh, you think you're the only one I often share the story that when I was 11, I struggled with food since age four. It's, <laughs> that's actually documented. My mom took me to a child psychologist and 
that was his analysis of me that I was that I was obsessed with food at age four. So wow. you know, there's all there is a lot of conversation about where and how eating disorders start. But for me, I just always had it as far as I know. Um, but at age 11, I thought I invented bulimia. I thought I have found this thing that makes me feel good, that makes me not um, get. And I enjoyed it. And I literally for several years thought I was the only person in the world that engaged in that behavior. That's how lonely of a thing that bulimia is. It, so what was it, it about is. bulimia and, that you enjoy it? Was it, was it the feeling that you had control over something in your life? Was it, did you at that time feel out of control about food already? Did you feel like you ate more than you saw other people eat? I mean, what was it about doing that that you enjoyed? I, this is the odd part because most people are like throwing up. That's how is that enjoyable? It wasn't that as much as I realize now what it was. I don't know what I thought at the time, but I realize now it was that if I had a strong emotion or if I had moments of low self esteem or if I didn't feel good enough or if I was stressed out, I would feel that feeling rising up in me and I would binge to push it down. And that felt better. But then when I would actually purge and release it, it was like, it was almost like I got rid of the feeling. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that now that was part of the addiction of it. It wasn't, it became less about like how my body looked or anything like that. And more about the relief that I felt to release an emotion that I had. It's like, it, it's rising up, rising up. And then I push it down and then it's released. And I got relief for a little while um, from, from what I felt. And I think that that part of it, that psychological addiction was stronger than the physical addiction to doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing people don't realize much. They think it's about how you, just how you feel about your body. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not, there's a psychological addiction. But even when, when I um, was found out and my parents tried to find me help, there, there weren't places for eating disorders for many, many years. There, there weren't people that specialized in it. There weren't people that talked about it. I never heard of anybody else that had one except for Karen Carpenter. And she's like the first person anybody heard of that had anorexia. And so um, it, ma it makes you feel even more ashamed and alone. And I think that most people, um, they develop that psychological addiction, the physical addiction to food, but then the, sh the shame keeps you quiet about it because you really can't imagine anyone else doing the things you do. I literally would say I am the sickest person in the world. I would say that to myself, like there's no way that anyone else is sicker than this. If anybody knew this side of me, they would be so disgusted and they would lose all respect for me. And so you don't talk about it. You just, and, <laughs> It's, you keep it secret. And I think that's part of why it keeps its hold on you. Um, and, and I did go, I was in and out of hospitals for many years um, and out in and out of different programs. My parents, they really did try it and they were supportive. But looking back, I know I went to those things to appease them, not because I really wanted to get well. Mm -hmm. uh, I identify myself as my sickness. Um, I think sometimes the the twelve step programs played into that. Like you kind of go 
win and you say, this is what I am. Mm-hmm. And there's really no hope, but I give it to God. And so all these, so there's elements of that, of that, that I love, but I actually claimed that as my identity. Like I am Jessica and I have a disorder and without it, I'm nothing. And I am no one. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't willing to give it up and didn't want to. I only went into the hospital when things got really, really bad and other people begged me to. And that's why it didn't work. It literally took till I was 41. And it was that, it was that moment of, whoa, I really am going to miss out on life. And I'm going to miss out on the lives of my children. And, you know, I just, it, it, my life really, it wasn't like my past life flashed before my eyes. It was my future life. And so again, I think the secrecy of it and feeling like that we're alone is what keeps people in the grips of it mm-hmm. and then not to let go of it because it is a, it is a way to soothe. It is a way um, to deal with emotions that you do in private. And then you can present yourself to others as if you have it all together, you know? Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, I've struggled with, uh, with similar things in the past. And I think that for me, that's definitely been the case is if you can do this stuff in private, then you don't have to let anybody else see that. And then you can be who you think you need to be in public. Or who you think um, people need you to be. Yes, exactly. That's right. Like, um, that's, that's a great way to put it. That's exactly right. And I, I think that, um, uh, there was, I had another thought when you were talking that I, I wanted to, I should be writing this down. I'm trying to write it down, but I'm so interested in what you're saying that I I keep forgetting to write things down. Um, but okay. So you get to this point. Um, what is it about keto or how did you hear about keto? Like, how did that come into play? How, how did, how did that seem to be the answer for you? Right. It wasn't like someone came to me and said, guess what? A ketogenic diet can help with your eating disorder. Right. Nobody was saying that. And I know keto is big right now and the message is spreading that it helps with lots of different things, but I never heard of that and I never heard anyone say it. Um, So, and I'm not sure that they did. I didn't understand that changing my food in this way would also put me in recovery. So I started not knowing. I started it because I knew that in the past I had done low carb diets and lost weight. Um, with the with my uh, anorexia, bulimia, compulsive overeating, I had been 115 at one point, and then I was up to 309. So I had these huge swings, and I had really done every diet. Wow. Um, and so I had done Adkins like in the late 90s, early 2000s. Mike and I were fairly successful with that. I remember I had lost 80 pounds, and we stuck with it for a long time, but I still binged and purged. And so I assumed that starting this low carb diet, I didn't really understand what was different about keto. I assumed that it would be similar, that I would get the weight off, but I would continue to have my eating disorder. After all, I thought it was me. You know, I thought I am, this disorder is literally ingrained in me. It cannot be separated or removed. And so what was interesting was, so I started, um, and like I said, I'd been off of social media. My husband was looking at pages for me to have support in low carb living and ketogenic success came up. That's Brian's page who I now work for. Um, and 
at that time it was a smaller group, but he added me to it. I get back on social media just for that reason, just so I can get low carb recipes, just so I can um, find some support. And so I kind of focused in on that group um, and other ones kind of, I just didn't even pay attention to them. I'm not sure why, maybe because it was nothing new, but in this group, it seemed different. People were talking about reversing their diabetes and they looked drastically younger. And, you know, there was, there was so much inspiration and I was eating low carb or what I knew of low carb. And I realized that keto, a ketogenic lifestyle is very different. It's also high fat not as much meat. So I knew the low carb part, but that part was bizarre to me. Um, so I realized, man, I'm eating a ton of meat. What would happen if I trust this because I'm seeing other people be able to do this? Again, at that time, it wasn't a ton, but it was enough that it was really like, okay, this is different. I'll try it. Um, and you're probably the same. We grew up in the low fat era. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> grams of fat. I remember I was like in my twenties, religiously under 20 grams of fat a day, which thinking about the mental illnesses that I had at that time and struggle with my, no, it's no wonder my brain was like fat starved. Oh, I often think back about that. And I'm like, I am, I am actually very grateful and blessed that, it, that way worse things didn't happen to me. Exactly. Exactly. Cause I mean, being your brain being fat starved, I didn't know that at the time and I didn't know it even when I started keto, but that was a huge part of what played into all of the other issues I had, the anxiety, depression, mood disorder, insomnia, all of it um, was about my brain. I had also been a vegetarian in the past and I did a ton of like the soy products mm-hmm. Morningstar Farms and all that. And I think about like how those things now, I know it affects your hormones. It, it, I'm, I'm just, I look back at those 30 years, three decades of sickness. And I thought, well, I had the sickness, but if there's things that I could do to make it worse, I did them all. <laughs> so keto was kind of the opposite of that. And it was very hard for me to add fat to things at first. And that is something that I hear from people who struggle with eating disorders. Like it's, it's in their head. Like, if I add fat, I'm going to get fat. And that took a leap of faith. And it, and it took trusting in what I was seeing other people doing. And that is actually when things started to change beyond my weight. I was losing weight, eating low carb, um, higher protein. But for me, when I cut the protein and added the higher fat, my brain started operating in a way that it never has. My, my biggest greatest fantasy was that I could get back to what I was at some point that I could think clearly again. Um, I I do have to mention this because I'm talking about mental illness. Um, It's drastic. I had electric shock therapy. I was on so many meds um, and I had been on them for so long. Really. I mean, the, uh, the first meds I was on was Prozac in my teens and it just built up. And I don't think there's anything I didn't try. Um, so I was desperate. There was a point where I was super, super desperate and I would do anything. And that was suggested to me as really my only course of action. And it fried my brain. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. Big memory gaps. I remember having trouble writing my name. Um, I would get confused about the year. That's when I stopped driving. So when I say my biggest dream was to get back, I just wanted to be able to think again because my brain was completely messed up. It was literally injured from those treatments. And so um, 
what, what I was feeling, what I started to feel with the extra, with the high fat on keto was a clearing. And it, it wasn't like I was getting back to how I was before. It was a whole new thing. It's almost like different parts of my brain lit up. You know, those memories are gone. I've gone through the stages of grief, you know, of the fact that they, they aren't coming back. But it's almost like these other parts of my brain that I had never really activated lit up. And I started to feel different and I had a different kind of energy than I'd ever had. And I was like, this is so different. And that really, my own personal experience led me down the road of research. I became obsessed with finding out why, like, like, what is it about this? Um, I wasn't paying attention to the bulimia, but I suddenly realized it had been two months and I hadn't binged and purged. Mm. Like, it's almost like it slid into the background because I was feeling so good and I was focused on and I was in the group a lot and I was messaging and I was reading and I was like, why, why is this working? <laughs> and then like, oh my God, I have not binged or purged in two months. And there was that little bit of fear that rose up in me like, well, you can expect that to end any time. Um, but I was really determined to keep working on this and um, working through it. And I think the more my brain cleared, the high fat, the high fat contact being, uh, content being very, very good for my brain, the more I was able to work through my issues with eating disorders. It, it wasn't that the keto cured the eating disorder. It did take away the physical craving and it did clear my brain and open me up to be able to see things in a way that I never had. I mean, I had tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of therapy, but I never could apply it to me. It just sounded like they were talking about someone else. And I would think, you don't get it. I can't do that. But, but when my brain, my brain on keto was able to heal and I was able to work through all the issues that had caused me to be sick. And now it's been over three and a half years and I feel better than I have my entire life. I'm 45 years old now and I feel better than I did in my twenties. Like this is the best time of my life. If somebody's like, you know, somebody would ask that question, what is the best time that you ever had in your life? I'm like, now that's a miracle to come from where I've been. And I am so grateful for that. That's awesome. So there's, um, again, so much in what you're talking about that um, I am sure is resonating with so many people. And this is, I'm hoping that people are listening to this or watching this and they're starting to feel some hope and like, wow, you know, this can happen for me. But for, for someone that's listening or watching this and having those feelings like you were, where they're like, well, okay, that's great for her. I'm so glad that Jessica was able to heal her brain and all this worked out. But but I've never been able to stick to anything. Yeah. And yeah. I always get on some new eating plan and I can't stick to it. How would you help somebody or how would you tell somebody, uh, what are some steps or do you have like some tips or things that, that you could say, listen, just try this or, yeah. do, you know, do these types of things that, what are some things that you talk about? Well, I was that person, first of all, that said, there's no diet that's ever going to help me. I mean, I was, I almost was cocky about the fact that I know everything about my eating disorder and there is, there is no cure. This is who I am. I was firmly planted in it. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a great shock to me that this worked. 
And I will tell those of you who maybe think, well, I'm still hopeless, that now over the last um, two and a half, three years, I have helped tons and tons and tons of other people get free. So it isn't just me. Um, we run some eating disorder groups in Kid Evangelist, and of course I work one-on-one -on -one with people, but it isn't just me. If it was just me, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe this was just the right thing for my brain. But so many people say, if I had not found keto, I would not be free today. And, and you know, I have clients that have two years of sobriety. Now, food sobriety, I mean, not engaging in their um, addiction. And that, that gives me proof that it will work. Um, but I also would say this. So first of all, you got to take a little bit of a leap of faith and say, if this is working for other people and I haven't tried it, it might be worth trying. The second thing I'll tell you is what keto did for me was it gave me freedom from numbers obsession. Now, in the keto world, you know, the, one of the, probably the most used word is macros. <laughs> and, and I made the decision in my keto journey not to track. Um, I had always tracked everything, like calories, except for when I was binging, I didn't track, but I'm really curious about how many calories some of those things were. But but I always did. I tracked fat grams, I tracked calories, I did, you know, I had all the apps. Letting that go and allowing myself to eat as much as I needed to feel full, and that was a lot at first, was a relief to me. So I think the first step is realizing put all the diets you've ever been on away. This is not the same thing. You, yes, you're detoxing your body from stuff that isn't good for it. Um, I'm not eating inflammatory foods so that, you know, that brings me to a good place. I start to feel better. I have less pain. Uh, went down a shoe size. <laughs> Anti-inflammatory feels good. So you start to feel like doing more. But in reality, this idea that I don't have to stick to some specific meal plan. I don't have to write every single thing down. I don't have to track everything that goes in my mouth was incredibly freeing in the experience. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I wound up it during my whole weight loss journey, I lost 135 pounds. And during my healing, I never tracked. And so that there is this, that's a very attractive thing. I think most of us who um, have eating disorders are perfectionists. We are all or nothing. And so if we're tracking and we realize we went over in one thing, we're like, well, forget it. And we just do whatever we want to. Right. right. And you just throw that whole day, that whole week, whatever it is. Tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so it kind of frees you from that perfectionism because you're like, as long as I'm eating these things and not these things, I'm going to get better. That's and such a great way to look at it, Jessica, because I think a, a lot of people, and I do typically when I work with people, I will have them track for some amount of time just to learn what's in their food, but I never have them start by tracking. And yeah. the reason why is exactly what you're saying. I think that we, that it is so, one of the beautiful things about keto or I even tell people, if you don't want to be in ketosis, that's totally fine. But just so low carb. Yes. Just yeah. low carb and, and teaching your body to use fat for fuel instead. Yeah. It's so freeing to just be like, yeah. you don't have to track all this stuff. Who cares if you're producing ketones at the moment? Just stop right. eating crap. If you feel good 
and just look at all the amazing benefits, like you were saying, that fat has for our bodies and specifically our brain. So I think that's what's going to get people to stick around, I think, long term. So anyway, I love that. Well, no, it's true. And, and, and really the question you're asking is, you know, what incentive does someone have to try a ketogenic lifestyle when they have an eating disorder or they have depression or um, they have brain issues? And that is, what do you have to lose? Most of us have tried everything. I literally did every diet. I did HCG. I did <laughs> Jenny Craig. I did Nutrisystem. I mean, I did all of them. and this was different and i'm finding that it's working for other people too but the freedom from that numbers of session is pretty huge i do have some clients who track um and that's that's okay because that's not their issue um and it can be a really good tool but for those of us that are in that place that extreme place of i am hopeless you're making a choice i'm either going to say, well, there's a possibility I could get better on keto, or you can say, you're not going to stay the same. What you're really saying is I'm going to get worse and this is going to progress. And maybe your life isn't the wreck that mine was at that point, but it can be. Mm -hmm. I was, I was never that person that thought that I would be homebound and not part of life, but it is progressive. Eventually it gets worse and worse. So you're not choosing to try something new or stay the same. You're choosing to try something new or get worse. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. Um, Maybe you have been to that place where you just, oh, I just accept this is what it is. I have an eating disorder. I'm never going to, I'm maybe you're overweight and you're like, you know what? Maybe I'm just supposed to be overweight. And the problem with that is because that's exactly what I did. I resigned. I stopped the fight. <laughs> you miss the fact that it, it's going to get worse. And boy, does it. When you stop resisting it, when you stop trying things, it gets worse at an alarming rate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's what I experienced. So I, when you're making that choice, when you're thinking about whether you should try this, again, I think it's a step towards life or it's a step towards death. Yeah. And I often will tell kind of what I'll um, go over with clients is figuring out what your why is. Like, why are you doing this? Like you, you know, you had some very big moments um, or a big moment where you were like this, my children are my why. I mean, this is, uh, you know, and not only the children, but the, the fact that you don't want to miss this. Like you really became your why. Like I am the why. Like I want to live. I want to experience life. I want to experience my children. And and this is, you know, it was almost sounds like it was a moment of realization for you that you were worthy. And um, and that's amazing. Before when I had considered, and I did go through periods of time where I was suicidal, and that's that's a whole other story. But I went through periods of time like that. And this, I literally had gotten to the point where it was like, the only thing I could think about is how it would affect other people. If I died, if I, if I went through with it, or if something happened to me, I would think, man, I know they'll be sad. I've lost people and it's been so painful. And I hate for them to go through that. But at the same time, I felt my presence in their life as messed up as I am is a greater burden than that grief would be. That's what I believe. But at no point before then did I actually think, what about me? I'm going to miss it. I want to be there for those things. It was always about how my sickness or 
uh, removing myself from their lives would affect them versus I don't get to do these things. I don't get to see these things. I don't get to be part of these things. And that was the driving factor. I'm like, and I have to tell you, I, I dealt with a lot of guilt um, over things that I had missed. Um, I dealt with a lot of guilt for, for um, the years that I was um, unstable, for the years that I um, didn't go to things, didn't participate in my children's lives, didn't, was not a good wife. How could I be? Mm-hmm. I wasn't. I mean, it's terrible to say I wasn't a good mom. I was physically present, but that is all. And I certainly wasn't setting an example of Clara's, uh, Clara was four. Mike stayed home with her up until that point. And then that's when I stopped working, came and and stayed home. And um, I didn't experience her school. I didn't experience her teachers. Like he was the one that took care of everything. People didn't know me if they saw me they wouldn't know I was her mother um my older daughter (laughs) of course she's in her 20s so um I experienced the guilt of knowing that she saw so many disordered things I can remember her coming to visit me in the eating disorders hospital and stuff and like breaks my heart but I have such a terrific therapist and and he told me this because I know that shame and guilt can drive you back to your illness it really can it can be a reason that you relapse and I was struggling and he said to me, is there any way to undo those years? And I was like, no, of course not. It doesn't take away the guilt, though. And he said, what would take away the guilt? I didn't know. He said, how about if you replace every single bad day, every disordered, dysfunctional, bad mom, bad wife day with an awesome new you day? And that was like this huge light bulb for me. So I'm like, okay, so how many years of Clara's life was I sick? All right, when I get to this many years sober, I'm going to have that many days. And she is, that's what she's going to remember. Yeah. daughter, Yeah. I mean, for 20 some years, that's going to take a lot of time, but I'm going to get there. I'm never giving up. But I think for her, what she gets to see is the comeback story of her lifetime. And I know that for her, that she will apply that to her life and understand that it's never too late and you're never too bad to get better. So I have the opportunity to, that inspires me. I can replace all the dysfunctional disordered days with days that are healthy and healed. And, and, and that gave me drive and it helped me just get rid of the guilt. Because guilt keeps you sucked in and you feel like, well, there's nothing I can do. I can't undo it. But in a way, I can. I can replace those days. Here's an amazing day in place of this terrible day that you experienced. That, that is such a, I love that. That is such a beautiful way to look at it. And for any of us, whether it's, um, whether it's people are watching this and maybe they don't have an eating disorder, but they just have a history of um, just diet after diet after diet and feeling like their life will be better. They can start living when they know, like when I get to that weight, when I get to that, you know, whatever the the benchmark is, then things will be good. And then you, it's, it's almost like you're just like all those days, you're just waiting to live, like just waiting to be you. I think the uh, bigger issue with that is, and I see this happen with clients, people have eating disorders and who don't, 
they think when they hit this number, this specific thing, that's when they'll start to feel good. That's when they'll start to feel worthy. That's when their self-esteem will be better. And I can tell you, having gone through bouts with anorexia, it's a lot like that. You think, I'm going to get to this number, and then I'll think I look thin enough. Then I'll be good enough. Then I'll be small enough. And then you get to that number, and you're like, what was I thinking? I'm not good. I'm not good enough. I still need this much. I still need to go. I still need to go. And I think that's what happens. People do get to their goal weight sometimes on a ketogenic diet. And they're like, now what? Maintenance is boring. Mm-hmm. So, so what I try to help people with, with transitioning is what do you focus on next? You can take the lessons that you learned from overcoming your eating disorder and losing the weight and apply them to every single area of your life. So if the lesson is, no matter how long I identified as I am bulimic, it's who I am, I can change. So that means no matter how I've reacted to circumstances, I can change. No matter what my work ethic has been, I can change. No matter what my disposition is, if it doesn't serve me well today where I am, I can change. And I think that's what keeps me excited. At some point you hit your goal and you're like, okay, now what? It's this continuous pursuit, understanding that every part of you is capable of change. And that keeps it exciting. You're on this journey to what's next. What's next. Every day I wake up and I'm like, I wonder what's next. This is where I think um, journaling comes in really handy too, because so much of who we are, who we think we are is what we say to ourselves over and over. Like you saying, you know, you're like, I'm Jessica and I'm bulimic versus being able to turn those around and really speak into our lives, who we want to be and what our goals are as if we are that already. Like understanding that we can be that person, like you're saying, we can change and, and saying, you know, I am whatever it is that you want to be and 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 really speaking that out loud writing that down reading that believing that about yourself maybe before you or even where you think that is going to happen but just really trying to just really trying to ingrain that into your spirit like that you are that your cells hear that they understand that they believe that you have to reset daily rituals if you're someone who gets up in the morning and you your first thought is, oh, it's raining outside, or oh, I have so much to do today. And I think there's a lot of people like that. Um, Even if it's not your natural thing, if you're not a writer, if you're not a journaler, I think the second that thought hits your head, you have to say, what if today is amazing? You know, so your, your brain attacks you with negative, and you have to come back with a positive, and it gets you up out of bed. So you, you wake up in the, in your worry. What if this happens at work? And then I would say back to that. What if I have the best day at work? What if I accomplish something I never thought possible? There's an equal chance of it happening. Why do we go straight to that negative? But I think starting off with a daily intention and a lot of my clients do message me and say, my intention is this today. And when they do that, they tend to stay with it because they said it to me. They wrote it down. They did it out loud. They didn't just think it. They took action on it. And so I think that's super, super helpful doing some sort of literal action. And in the morning is best because what you think about what this day is going to be often manifests. 
Like, this is going to be a lazy day. I don't feel like doing anything. You're probably not getting anything done. It's probably going to be a lazy day. Um, But if you wake up and say, I want to be a positive influence on every single person I come across today, and that's that's what my job is today, you find opportunities to be that. So for me, that is what I say. I'm like, like, I want to be a blessing. I want to be, um, I want to make a difference in every person's life. I'm not just talking about clients, but if I'm at the bank, if I'm in line, and this is so opposite of depression, right? But it's what keeps me interested. I look for people who might need that interaction and amazing things happen mm-hmm. because I'm looking for them. They were always there. They always needed a smile or a positive word or something like that. I just never saw them. I was wrapped up. Now I see them. and that is the most fulfilling thing in the world is to be able to look around and say, I'm going to make a difference for someone today. It doesn't have to be something huge. Right. And uh, looking for those opportunities to do that is like really gets you up and going. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think that's a big part of what happens in your brain. Like you were talking about, um, for me, I definitely felt, um, I felt different. Like my emotional health was better And that makes me able to do those things for other people. Like I started, I went from like not noticing people and and really viewing people as almost like objects to to noticing people and viewing them as people and realizing that they have emotions and feelings and they're going through things in their lives too. And it, it like, it changed my emotional health. It does. And I, the other piece is this, you know, when you are depressed, um, when you have an eating disorder, so many of your thoughts in the day are turned inward and are focused on that. When you experience freedom and the depression is lifted and you're not constantly thinking about your body and about food, you have all this free time. You know, the, one of the things people say in this world is I don't have time it's almost like you are gifted extra days in each day because the amount of time you used to stress on things like that, it's gone. And then you start to see what your real purpose is. And I think, I think all of our real purpose is to give to others, to breathe into them life. And um, that's just what I believe. And, And when you're doing that is when you are most fulfilled, way more fulfilled than if you step on the scale and it says what you're hoping for breathing life into someone else, speaking the word in the moment when they need it is so much more fulfilling and such a, that's a great thing to focus on. That's real life, you know? Yes, I totally agree with you. So um, before we wrap up this interview, I'm, I'm curious. So you said you don't track anything. Um, Do you, well, two, I guess, twofold question. Number one, do you, do you test for ketones? Do you even, do you know if you're in ketosis? How does that look for you? I didn't for the first two years. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I went to the first keto con. (laughs) Mojo was there and my husband bought me one. And so I tested and it was really cool because my ketones were really high. And I was like, yeah. And then I started to realize this numbers thing can be a problem. Mm-hmm. If you start to chase that number and then you start to be like, oh, it's good today. So I must have a lot of energy. What if you felt like you had a lot of energy before you saw the ketone? 
Yeah. Or it's slow today. Oh, I'm probably not going to have the energy to do what I wanted to do. It's almost like a replacement for the scale or scale obsession. So I had to back away from that. And now I test, um, like if I am, um, doing something different with food or, um, if I am fasting or if I'm doing something like that, I test to see, but I think when you, um, and yes, I do stay in ketosis all the time, but I think it's because for me, I experimented enough to know I need to be very low carb, like 20 or less is that's my deal. And I know some people can do more and more power to them. Some people have to do less than me, but for me, I need to stay under 20, but moderating, like getting the protein and the fat ratios right for me, you know, that's a question like, how do you do that when you're not tracking? Well, Intuitive eating is what you do. You, you cut back the protein portion, you add more fat. And if you are hungry again in two hours, you didn't have enough. And so the next time you eat, you say, well, I had this and this, I'm gonna play around with portions, I'm gonna add more fat, I'm gonna trim this back or add a little bit more back. And then you start to, I mean, you have to find your own way. There's no two sets of people in the world that should eat the exact same things and expect to have the same results. And you have to be willing to experiment. I also think that's what keeps it exciting is, is figuring yourself out instead of being like, Oh, why can't I just copy someone else's? Right, because right. that's how most people come to us. Like people who help them with their diet. Like, can I just, can you give me a formula? Can you give me a food plan? Can oh my gosh. If I had one more person tell me they want a meal plan, I'm like, I don't give meal plans. I'm sorry. Cause I can't tell you exactly what to eat to make you be in ketosis. Well, and honestly, like, even if you did say, well, here's a food plan, because there are people that do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, that means nothing. I mean, you might have results with that. You might not. You may have better results if you weren't doing that. You know, right. so it, it, our bodies are so individual that to me, the experimentation and constant, um, trying different things. Like, I wonder what would happen if I did this or what if I, I wonder if I've been keto long enough that, cause I am protein sensitive and some people are not as protein sensitive. I wonder if I've been keto long enough that I could add some protein and it won't affect my blood sugar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for me, no. um, or if I did, you know, for me, if I eat less fat, my, uh, I can tell I get a little foggy. So that's just me. But then I have clients that are like a one, one ratio. They eat, fat and protein equally. Um, and, and that works for them. It just doesn't work for me. You, I, I highly encourage just experimentation. Right. And I also think it's good to realize that what you're eating now, that may not be what you're able to eat next week or next month or next year. So if, right. if you are relying on, on the expert out there to give you a meal plan, and that's the only way you know how to eat, what's going to happen when that meal plan no longer works and things start shifting and you're like, Oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? Like, I got to find somebody to make me a new meal plan. It's like, no, just like you're saying, experiment with it, figure it out. Are you, you know, do you do okay with a little more carbs? Maybe you need a little more carbs. Maybe not. Maybe you need way less carbs, you know, maybe the protein, maybe the fat, like, and like you said, I think that's a, you know, I'll have people that will say, Okay, well, how do I know if I'm eating enough fat? 
It, like you're, you're not hungry. <laughs> you're hungry. You are not eating enough fat. Or they'll say, I'm having trouble getting more fat in. How's that even possible? Drizzle some stuff on your food. It's like, so it's funny so that the hard. phrases, yeah, the phrases that you're saying are so funny. I think the, the people that have problems getting fat in, they're thinking of fat as a separate thing. They're thinking yes. of carbs. They're thinking of protein and then they're thinking fat is this other thing. And I have to play catch up at the end of the day. And I'm like, no, there's zero point in that fat is to fill you up. It's so it, that's part of what helps with the eating disorder. For the first time in your life, you really feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you have to say for every time I have a carbohydrate for every time I have some protein, I say, how can I make these things vehicles for fat? And for a lot of people that are like, oh, if I get my fat with it, I stay satisfied. I don't feel the need to have anything later. I don't feel the need to like catch up on fat, you know, because there's, it really is pointless. And then there's that thought of, but I had extra protein. So now I need to add extra fat. No, you don't undo the protein by adding (laughs) fat, right? Like, like your ratios don't matter because you can balance them out just by overeating. Right. Right. Like if I want my carbs to be at 5%, and they're much higher than that. All I have to do is eat more other food. <laughs> My percent goes down, but that's not what I need. It's not the answer. Right. Exactly. So this has been really awesome. I just love everything that you had to say. And if anyone has listened to this, has watched this, and I'm sure they have, and they're thinking, oh my gosh, this girl is, she's exactly what I've been needing to hear. I want more. How do they find you? Where are you at? Um, how can they get in contact with you? Give us all the goods. Uh, at Instagram and Facebook, it's just at Coach Jessica. Um, my name is spelled with a Y. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's it's Coach J E S S Y C A. Um, and I usually have links. I've done quite a few podcasts now, which is really, really exciting. Um, and I try to keep those on my pages so you can hear other things because I find that each one takes a totally different turn. It's not the same story over and over. It's like, we're talking about something completely different, every single one. Um, so if you want to hear more things like that, if you're interested in coaching, I do work for Keto Evangelist Coaching. Um, you can find me there. It's KetoEvangelistCoaching.com. But I, you know, again, my mission in life is to let people know that no matter how bad you are, no matter how, how long you've been sick, you can get well. If I can, you can. There's nothing special about me that this worked for me. It's because literally it works. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you again. It's so awesome to see your face. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today and are looking forward to the next episode.